0: Blog Talk Radio. Challenging. Thought-provoking. Insightful. This is God in Country. The Collision of Faith and Politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Shawn Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran excellence killed the church, how mediocrity is destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener.
1: Well then, well then, well then, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on The Collision of Faith and Politics, the fastest two hours in radio. I appreciate you joining us. You've joined us on a good day. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in the northeast. Uh gorgeous, gorgeous. I've got my uh sidekick Buckeye, uh, guarding my six. And so if you hear her bark, you may have to go handle some uh go handle some stuff. So, anyhow, uh we're we're glad to have you today. It's been a crazy crazy time. Um it will be it'll be a happy time, a powerful time, a uh a good time. It's going to be good it's going to be good today we have a very very special guest radio star general uh, the general of the airwaves he is he is the most professional guy that i know on the radio his shows are absolutely riveting uh, powerful powerful force in the conservative movement uh, powerful force in the thinking american movement he is a high information voter And uh, He travels all around the world. He does a lot of philanthropy. He's a brilliant conservative thinker, and uh, I'm honored to call him friend and have him on the show today. He's going to be on just a little bit. Uh, Dave and I are going to talk about crime and guns in America. We're going to talk about some other stuff, too. I think that you should really stay in the batter's box with us today because you're going to be blown away by some of the stuff that comes at you. We're going to be coming at you really, really hard, too, by the way, so don't be afraid. Do not fear. We uh, we are absolutely going to get it done. Going to get it done. Uh, this is the no-holds-barred show here. Uh, there is no political correctness assumed. So you're just going to have to deal with the, the stuff that comes at you. Uh, today is going to be a, a rock and roll day. I'm just telling you. You can't say you haven't been warned. That's all I'm trying to say. can't say you haven't been warned. Uh, We are excited also to have a huge announcement. And there will be, well, for me, a huge announcement. And so I'm excited to share some some news with you. Uh, Also, we're going to have on a special guest, uh, nationally known conservative activist and media strategy expert, uh, Tiffany Rugner she is uh an absolutely amazing amazing woman uh she is a force to be reckoned with in conservative media um she is certainly a media a media strategy expert extraordinaire uh and i'm i'm uh, i'm very impressed with her i'm very excited to have her we're gonna share her uh, her information with you just a little bit later but uh Listen, you don't want to miss today's show. Um, it's, a, it's a special show for a lot of reasons, not the least of which are um, I get to share with you about my uncle, uh, my uncle, Carrie Covington, a wonderful, amazing man. He went to his reward on Saturday, uh, I guess 630, around 630 p.m., uh, suddenly, totally unexpectedly, uh, and an absolutely extraordinary, extraordinary human being. Uh, my uncle Carrie Covington is the youngest of nine, and he, uh, quite frankly, is one of the neatest people I've ever met. Truthfully, he's he's truthfully one of the neatest people that I've ever had. I've known him all my life, of course, and uh, he is. Um, he's one of those people that you meet and, you know, I was a little kid when I first met him, you know. I'm I'm sure he held me as a baby and uh, he, you know, teased me. I know he teased me. Uh, he teased, that's what he did, but he, he loved. And uh, I'll tell you what if anybody had many reasons to have an excuse to whine and complain and tell you how rough things are, to mope, it was Uncle Carrie. He was, I think since he was 16 years old, went to bed, he was fine, woke up, couldn't walk. He had contracted polio. This was during the World War II uh, era, and he was going to join his brothers in going off to fight in the war. All my uncles—they they went and fought in the war, and they fought heroically and valiantly and honorably. And so, Uncle Carry, being the youngest of, of all these Covington boys, wanted to go and do his part. And so, uh, but he couldn't because he went to bed normal and woke up extraordinary so he had these big braces on his legs and for the longest time he refused a wheelchair so he used these crutches and I'm telling you uh you've never seen anything like this guy uh he fathered children he uh he worked he was the first handicapped person person who could not walk ever to be a security guard at the DuPont Company. Absolutely amazing. You know, not late to work, never an excuse. They called him Covington. They referred to him as Covington there. And he went to work always with a great attitude, always positive, uh, just never... He's just not a complainer. He just didn't complain. So Uncle Kerry, uh you know, he's the youngest of the Covington clan, and so he, my mom... It goes Aunt Jean is next, and Aunt Jean Reifenberg, and then my mom, um, Louise Greener. And uh, so I have a picture, actually, on Facebook. If you go to Facebook, you can see my Uncle Gary. He is, uh, go to Facebook.com, I think it's backslash, I don't know, go to God and Country Radio Show, or go to my regular Facebook page. You'll see it on there. Just search Shawn Michael Greener, you'll find me. And uh, that smile he had in the picture, he always had that smile. He was a man of tremendous faith. Let me tell you, he lived his faith. He oozed his faith and in such a way that that you, you thought to yourself, man, this guy, of all the reasons in the world, of all the reasons in the world to complain that he had, he didn't he always 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 turned he turned everything back to god everything every single thing uh everything was always a an opportunity to tune in to God and help others experience God in a really real, authentic way. Not a judgy way, but an authentic way. And he uh, he drove. He did everything, you know, everything. I mean, mowed the grass. Uh, you, you see what this man does. Listen, they live in a two-story home. So he lived, his bedroom wasn't a first-floor master. He was on the second floor, and he had to climb the steps using his arms. Now, he's in his 70s, and he's doing this. Uh, you know, our family has a lot of family parties and gets to get-togethers, Covingtons, that's what they do, and um, he would always be seated in the same place, you know, kind of holding court, and everyone wanted to sit near Uncle Carry because he just had that energy that came from him. He's just a, he's just that guy, you know, he's just that guy in every group that you just look at and you say, this guy right here is something special. And I always felt privileged to be his nephew. I always like to uh, brag on my Uncle Carrie, telling people what he is and how he is and how he does what he does. Um, he, There's a group called, I think it's called Community Bible Study. I think that's the name of it, Community Bible Study. And in this group, he uh, he was a teacher... He was a teacher, and he he taught you know Bible classes and and uh, different study groups, and and everyone there just adored him. So uh, suffice it to say, you know, there's certain people in your life that make you better. And of course, we all called him Pop. Now he wasn't my dad, uh, but his everybody referred to him as Pop, except for the people who work called him Covington. And I'll tell you, Pop was the kind of guy that if you were ever somewhere and he was there and you you wanted to impress your friends you'd always invite him you'd always invite your friends over to meet pop uncle carry because he just had that way about him he lived a life well lived he he well lived his life no doubt about it now i'm i'm telling you this was an absolute shock when i got the the message from my cousin i was stunned I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. She told me she was doing, she's a nurse, uh, been a nurse for many, many years, and she was doing CPR, CPR in progress, uh, and we were just absolutely stunned. I mean, you know, he was a pretty healthy guy despite having polio. So um, he was with his family. He was at his home. He had just spent the whole day with his family, and, and he was surrounded by his family, and i tell you, I think if we were to ask Uncle Kerry how would he want to go, it would be that way. Or praising God, one of the two. Or maybe both, do them both at the same time. He he was that way. That's how he lived. The family, it, it, this is the order for Uncle Kerry, God and family. And so he received his reward on Saturday for a lifetime of faith. And I'm telling you, uh, I'm the better for being part of him. I absolutely uh, adored him. And Saturday uh is going to be the um it's going to be the the um the service in the state of Delaware and he he will be honored. My prediction is by hundreds and hundreds of people coming from all over for who he is and what he is. Uh, what he meant to them, I, I almost guarantee you, I would bet my bottom dollar that uh, he, if he, if there's an opportunity for people, you know how at funerals, now I'm, most of you know, they don't call me the ninja pastor for nothing. I'm I'm also, um, I'm actually a, an ordained minister and I travel around the country and preach and I do a little, little show a uh, little broadcast, I don't call it a show, a broadcast on Sundays. You can go to uh, www.blogtalkradio.com/theninjapastor and you can uh you can you can listen to yesterday. Yesterday was we talked about fear. Started a new series on fear. Where do you go uh to run? You know? Where do you go to run? So, but I'll tell you Uncle Kerry, he had no fear. He had no fear at all. He didn't live with fear. He just wasn't a fearful guy. You know, he, he just, he trusted God. It was in his core to trust God. And uh, I think that's one of the most amazing things about Uncle Carrie is that he, he just really, really, really lived his faith. It was who he was, family and God, God and family. Those those things right there were what drove him. It's the reason, you know, he crawled down the steps to go to work for all those many years at DuPont Company. It's the reason uh he went through all of what he had to do just to go places and do things. This is the this is the reason because he loved his family. And so uh, Uncle Kerry has gone to receive his reward. He is, uh, you know, of course, the first thing I thought when I got the news that he had passed, we were on our way to the hospital uh, and, and they, uh, they pronounced him. Uh, we were right there, right at the uh, almost the driveway to the hospital. The first thing I thought to myself is, wow, Uncle Kerry is dancing in heaven right now. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what we believe as followers of Yeshua, and and uh, we're made perfect in His presence. So dancing, and it's ironic because we got there, and that's what all the kids and grandkids were also saying is that you know, wow, he's he's dancing in heaven. So thank you for indulging me to hear about my uncle Kerry. He's an awesome man, and uh, and uh, I am just so honored. I ask that if you're a praying type, if you if you truly do pray to the living God, pray for my family, pray for Aunt Carol and and uh, all of his children and grandchildren, um, and nieces, nephews, uh, sisters, and, very, and all of his many, many friends. It's a difficult time. You, you'd never thought this would happen, but one of my good friends just reminded me his father passed away last uh, September uh, unexpectedly. And he's a uh, he's a paramedic fireman uh, and he sees a lot of long term, terrible suffering in his business. And so you want to go, you know, you want to go instantly. But then again, that's that conundrum. We don't get the opportunity to say goodbye. You know, we always say we always say, man, I wish I'd had time to say goodbye. Let me say this. I said this to my cousin who was performing CPR uh, on her dad. She's the youngest in his family, of his children, and I think he would have seen that as his his last hug and his last kiss goodbye, Um, but in his case, his children were very good about loving on him. They were very good all the time about uh, showing him love and care, and let me tell you what, they're a teasing bunch, boy, you know, you got to be on your toes around there, because uh, he was sharp, and he didn't... You know, he was just funny. He was just a funny, funny man. Very loving, very funny, and uh, really something else. He was a pistol. But I'll tell you what, you make no mistake about it, he was a, a just a mountain of a man and incredibly strong. Think about this, you know, he had to use his uh, upper body to climb steps, to to uh, to do whatever he did to move. Everything he had to do, he had to use his arms. So, as you might imagine, his upper body was incredibly, incredibly strong. And when this man hugged you, I'm a big guy. I don't know how many of you know. I'm a, I'm a relatively big guy. Uh, let me just tell you. This guy, when he hugged you, whew, you were hugged. You were hugged. So God bless you, Uncle Carrie, and and thank you all for praying. And so Saturday is going to be a, a really, really difficult day. But you know what? We're going to get through because we know where he is, and we know how he is, and we know who he is. And that's the power of living in faith in Yeshua Hamashiach, and faith in, in Hashem, or, or uh, Adonai Elohim, you know, believing in God and believing in His Son, Yeshua, it's, it's, a, it's a big difference, I'll tell you, it's a big, big difference. And He wouldn't trade places with us for all the amount of money in the world, uh, even though He loves His family first and foremost. He is in the presence of the Almighty King, uh, in whom He has spoken of with glowing report, for his entire life. And so um just thank you for indulging me. Listen, I, I wanna I wanna really quick before we bring our great guest on, Dave Perkins, uh, national radio host, um really incredible commentator, conservative thinker, just a brilliant, brilliant mind. I'm I'm awed by my friend uh, and the way he thinks and the way he way he presents his thoughts. If if you uh follow him on Facebook, I'm telling you the man I tell him all the time, listen, Dave, you gotta write a book and I'll be honest we're in a think tank together and I, and I and everyone in the think tank can't be a month goes by and says dude write a book will you just write a book save us save us the trouble and write a book so uh anyhow I, I want to give a shout out to corporal Tim Donnelly United States Marine Corps we were uh, privileged to be at a benefit myself and the Hill groups and the whole K halal west and Sean and Angie and and the whole crew, uh, we were we went to a, a Madison Rising concert in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I am telling you right now, that was awesome. Now, to give you a little background, Corporal Tim Donnelly uh, lost very high amputation of both legs, traumatic amputation of both legs, in an IED attack uh, over in the Middle East. And uh, part of his arm, one arm was severely damaged. Uh great-looking kid. I'm telling you, he, he, you know, talk about an overcomer. Holy moly, man. And he and his wife and his uh, service dog, beautiful uh, golden retriever, just an unbelievable dog, were there at a benefit. Now, the reason for this benefit was to raise money to build him a smart home. Now, let me say this, and I, I bet you Dave Perkins is going to have a little bit to say about this. Let me say this to you. Um, the fact that we have to have a fundraiser, now we're privileged to do it. Don't get us wrong. And, and let me tell you what: any chance to hear Madison Rising? I'm looking at Madison Rising's new, uh, unbelievable CD, "American Hero." Uh, any time I get to hear Madison Rising, they're buddies of mine. You've heard Dave Bray on the phone on the uh, show several times. You've heard uh, Sam uh, Fish. We call him Fish. Uh, he is the drummer, Fishman Samuel Fishman. Up. Uh, Man, unbelievable drummer. A.J. Larson, phenomenal guitar player, playing a brand new guitar. He was really excited. We were all really excited to hear it. And Tom DiPietro uh, killing it on the bass, just seriously shredding the bass. And, of course, Dave Bray is just the front man, extraordinaire. Uh, I am telling you, the privilege really centered around this young man. And, by the way, if you go to my Facebook, you'll see video. I, I recorded this. He sang one of the songs that uh, Madison Rising does. You go to Madison Rising, um, you know, put it in your search bar or go to my go to God and Country radio page on the uh, on the Facebook there. And you there's a link to it. Uh, the Star Spangled Banner, their rendition of Star Spangled Banner. And so they, they were singing the Star Spangled Banner and Tim was up on the stage and they said, come on, sing with us. And the boy can sing. He just straight up could sing. He did a great job. It was really awesome to hear. And so we were privileged to be there up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I'm just going to tell you um, the reason I'm bringing this up is I want you to understand that we are still at war, folks. We're absolutely still at war, and and our soldiers are still in harm's way. And until we rectify this situation— in Washington D.C., they're going to be in worse and worse harm's way every single day. I also want to say, and I'm, and I'm, I, I want to do this as delicately as possible because we have a, a, a dear, dear friend of mine and brother who is about to deploy for I think the third or fourth time this week, and and uh, he is a great friend to the show. He is uh, a great friend to everybody. You couldn't have a better friend than him. Uh, he's about to deploy uh, for quite some time and. We just If you're a praying person while you're praying for my Uncle Kerry and you're praying for Corporal Tim Donnelly, uh, pray for my buddy because uh, he's going back in the zone, and, and so we want him and all of his compatriots to be safe. But as as far as it relates to Tim Donnelly, if you go there, if you get an opportunity, if you're a contributing type of person, you have the resources, contribute to, if you Google Corporal Tim Donnelly, you'll hear his story, D-O-N-L-E-Y, you'll hear his story. It's absolutely compelling. This kid's attitude, he reminded me a lot of Uncle Kerry. It's the irony of ironies, right? Uh, uh, You know, Uncle Kerry and him, no quit. And everyone before and after Corporal Donnelly's injury, Said the dude's attitude is stellar. He's stellar, but just because his attitude is stellar doesn't mean. I started to tell you guys, and I get mad about this. Uh, I'll just confess to you, I have an issue with it. I don't understand why, though. We don't. We don't. Um, we don't begrudge it. We do it very willingly. You know, very very willingly to try to raise money for the smart house and things to help. But why in this country, the United States of America, are we paying for illegal immigrants to eat and to live and to do all these things and our and our combat wounded veterans have to have fundraisers to provide them with the things that they need? Now that's just ridiculous and ignorant. And the people responsible for this keep shrugging their hands and saying, whoa, what are you going to do? Ladies and gentlemen, it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me, and we need to hold them accountable, not just say stuff, but we need to put their feet under a serious fire, a serious fire. So I I just – and I – you know, as we talk about this, I I want you to remember also Gold Star families. A Gold Star family is is, is a family that their loved one went over into the zone, into combat, and was lost in combat. And I'm telling you, there are more of them than you can imagine. More of them than you can imagine. There are parents and siblings and children and spouses in your neighborhood. We have a dear friend, Dave and I have a mutual dear friend, Debbie Lee. Her son, I'm looking right down at her son's commemorative Benchmade Knife. Uh, Mark Allen Lee was the first United States Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. And uh, she just travels all around the country doing amazing things for the soldiers and uh current soldiers and also for Gold Star families and the Michael Strange Foundation. What unbelievable things that they're doing. Great volunteers there uh, that just can't be beat. I'm telling you, they just can't be beat. And, and also um I, I mention this book periodically. Karen and Billy Vaughn, Aaron Carson Vaughn, Special Operations Chief Aaron Carson Vaughn, was killed in Extortion 17 with um, Michael Strange, the officer Michael Strange. They were attached to DevGrew, the uh, SEAL team, uh, the gold team, the one that got bin Laden. And, uh, but Karen and Billy Vaughn, great, great people, doing great things. They uh, They have camps for kids who have lost their fathers. In combat and they do things they have mentors male mentors that come and and do the things fish you know uh, learn to shoot bow and arrow uh, do all kinds of fun stuff they have this, these amazing camps and so they uh, they do this but the book betrayed if you don't know uh, if you don't know about that book and you don't know about extensive extortion 17 please order the book I'm telling you it's really really critical Well, listen, folks, we are absolutely privileged to have on the show right now uh, my good friend, uh, just a a brother. His name is Dave Perkins. Listen, if you've been anywhere, you're on the blaze, and you've heard Dave countless times giving you the news the only way he can uh, with excellence. And you've heard his radio show. He's, uh, he's He's just about to be fully syndicated, I know. Um, he wrote a piece, one of the reasons why I want to have him on uh, Welcome, Dave, by the way Thank you very much for coming on hey, How are you doing today, my brother? Good to see doing to good. you, glad to be here oh, It's my pleasure, my pleasure I'm doing good, I'm doing good I'm blessed by the rest and ready for the test Blessed by the best and ready for the <laughs> test So, But uh, you wrote a piece That um, you, you write a lot of things And again, write a book Just, uh, just saying, <laughs> subliminal message there Write a book he uh, says, to my friends who argue with me about gun shows allowing no background check sales. Now, I, you and I preach from the same sermon notes. I'll tell you what, because I scream about this. But you wrote this. If you buy from a merchant, all caps, who has a table at the gun show, you will get a background check. A gun show, All gun show merchants must have federal firearms licenses or FFLs and are forbidden from selling without using the same federal NICS background check. They use at gun stores. And then you talk about the individual-individual sales, individual-to-individual individual sales, agreed upon in conversation, executed in the back lot of the gun show. They're not really gun show sales, and, and I say this all the time. You just say it better. They're just person-to-person sales. To be at a gun show is not to be in or a part of a gun show. It happens all over America, and far more guns are bought and sold away from gun shows than at them. They have Internet markets, for heaven's sakes. The item is legal, and selling it person-to-person is no more skullduggery, which I love your words, or a crime than buying and selling cars and sports equipment. It is within our rights, all caps, according to the Constitution. Before we Americans consider giving up our right to buy and sell legal items between each other without checking in with government, big big deal there i will need to yes. see evidence that gun show private sales are the cause of a significant amount of crime so show me the police statistic that says 50 to 70 to 90 percent of shootings in america are done without guns are done with guns bought out of trunks in the parking lot of a gun show what's that you say you don't have any statistics about guns bought and sold privately outside the doors of gun shows so how do you know any of those guns are used in gun crime you don't you don't know at all. So why should we abandon our right to buy and sell legal items voluntarily by engaging in commerce with each other as citizens? Why should we abandon that right just because you're afraid? When you don't even have the evidence that your fear is even rational. What percentage of gun crimes do use guns bought in parking lots of gun shows? A- anybody? Anyone? It's pretty close to Nobody. 0. Nobody. Nobody has statistics on that. But the fact that the left is able to haltingly and with many errors to even point out a place in time where some guns are sold without background checks is for them a victory, a hinge point for their fear-mongering. They say, unregulated private sales, but don't even try to prove that this causes crime. Show t- this is what I love. Show statistics. How many guns that were sold between individuals with no required background check are used for crimes? I demand to know. I demand to see the actual stats, or else you are fading lilies. You fading lilies can just stop waving that righteous finger in our faces about gun shows. All buyers at the gun show get background checks every time they buy at the gun show. The exact same check that we get at gun stores. The only ones who don't are the people who arrange with each other to buy and sell their legal property in personal transactions. This does not happen at the gun show. Sometimes outside. Far more often, such a sale has nothing to do with any gun show. And when it does, we who like to go to gun shows do not sell privately to gang bangers or to anyone who has tattooed eardrops or otherwise indicates a likelihood that the would-be buyer is a criminal. We are responsible Americans, and we are careful. We do not want crimes to be committed by anyone, let alone with guns, numerically connected to us, judging By the hundreds who died in Fast and Furious, we are considerably more responsible about who gets our guns than the Democrat Party or Justice Department. Listen, that was one of the best posts ever.
2: Really quickly before I go on to the matter of guns itself, the uh, Operation Fast and Furious thing, something I really need for America to fully know and understand, and I still think people don't. The reason they, they had guns bought, in New Mexico border gun stores and then delivered to people who would take them across the border and give them to cartel killers. The reason they did that, the only reason they did that was so that American bought guns would be used in the murder of foreigners, which is to say in this case, Mexicans. And two whistleblowers who had guts beyond measure, they would still be doing fast and furious And we still wouldn't know about it. And the death toll, instead of being 300 Mexicans and a couple of American Border Patrol agents, would be thousands of people from all over the world all being killed with, as the media all over the world would be very busy pointing out, American guns bought legally in American gun stores. The calculus of Operation Fast and Furious was to cause deaths in other countries so that the world would rally against America's Second Amendment. We were unable to, well, I say they, government was unable to get any traction on uh, restrictive gun laws because the American people are too fond of the Second Amendment. So what they wanted was for international political pressure to go along with liberal political pressure in America. The way to do that is for international people to die. This was quite Literally. Death, murder, killing hundreds of people or more in foreign countries was the core of their plan, Sean. People have to understand. Obama approved this. His buddy Holder developed the idea. The point of Fast and Furious was deaths by the hundreds. And if people hadn't died, it would not have rallied foreign political pressure against the Second Amendment, which is to say it wouldn't have worked. So when you think about your kind, beneficent leaders in the Democrat Party remember their plan for getting rid of the Second Amendment involved killing hundreds or thousands of people. And if those people didn't die, their plan wouldn't work. That's who those people are. Everyone needs to accept it and remember it.
1: Hold up, hold up. Let me let me make sure because I I was holding my breath that whole time, um, afraid you'd say <laughs> something controversial. Uh so you're you're telling me, Dave Perkins, you're telling me that the government illegally sold guns to drug dealers and and all of that. You're telling me they did this. The government. Our government they didn't, and wait a second, aren't leftists the in control? What did they do? How'd they get rid yes. of these guns?
2: Well, their, their purpose wasn't to get rid of the guns; it was to get them into the right hands so that oh. their goals would be accomplished.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, oh, Dave, 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 Dave! Now that's quite comfortable. Yes. Yeah, so I just don't know what to say. Shocking. About this. So, so they <laughs> sold or gave or put in some way into the hands of awful, awful people, our enemies, really. Oh
2: killers that's right american enemies
1: hard core cold blooded killers
2: hundreds and thousands of them yes
1: now wait a second now i just want to make sure that i understand uh what i'm what i'm hearing here so you're telling me what? that our government who right now is being run by ultra left extremely anti-gun, extremely anti-Second Amendment administration put into the hands, on purpose, put into the hands some of the most evil, deadly people on the planet, enemies of America for sure, and they did this for what reason? What was the
2: reason, they, the reason? They actually had uh, Mexican gangsters come to Texas gun stores to try to buy 10 or 15 AK-47s at a time. And the owners would call the federal government, the Justice Department, and say, please, please, these guys don't speak English. They got teardrop tattoos on their eyes. They're gangbangers. We know they're murderers and and they're asking to buy these guns, and you're telling us we should sell them? And the government would tell them, yep, yep, we got it under control. No worries, go ahead and sell. So it's literally the government doing it because the gun sellers, the people who run the gun stores, did not want to do it and tried like crazy not to do it, but government overruled them and reassured them and ended up making it happen. So yes, the government is the prime agent of moving almost 3,000 military-style weapons into the hands of cartel killers just south of the Texas border. The U.S. government did it.
1: And they and they did it to uh, create a furor to make us say, oh, you know, we've got to get rid of these guns. We've got to get rid of these All awful right, so assault rifles. Right it forth.
2: wasn't to make us say it. It wasn't to make us say it. It was to make foreigners become fearful for their own lives based on the fiction that American purchased guns, legally purchased American guns, are somehow drifting and slithering across borders magically by themselves and ending up in the hands of killers. And, and it, it was meant to make the whole world fearful for its lives based on the Second Amendment being an out-of-control thing, based on guns going everywhere all the time and everybody killing each other all over the world with American guns because the Second Amendment is the deadly, dangerous source of american guns and we would have bought it too if if not for a couple of whistleblowers who came out and said the government is behind this we would have believed that somehow no matter how diligent our store owners were no matter how hard-working our police that somehow thousands and thousands and thousands of american purchased legally bought guns were winding up in the hands of murderers in other countries and ordinary innocent people from other countries were dying because of the second amendment that was the plan. And it would not have worked if people weren't dying, Sean. The deaths were instrumental to the success and the achievement of the goal of this government, which is to make the Second Amendment disappear.
1: Hmm. With, so without
2: deaths they'd have had nothing.
1: So our government, the Liberal Left uh leftist, ultra leftist government, has stepped in and now of course we have uh, cries for the un to step in and, and you know this is the same government uh that these people are not being uh prosecuted they're not incarcerated they're not they're not paying the i mean they've caused deaths even in other countries so so this same government has enlisted the aid uh and 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 really sabotaged other governments wouldn't you wouldn't you say that to some degree is the case
2: Certainly the Mexican government, which, you know, given other cooperation efforts in the past with those people, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they understood the purpose of Operation Fast and Furious and went along with it, because they don't like the Second Amendment either, because it makes them look bad for not allowing their citizens to all have guns, you see. Part of it is what it makes other people think about. The thoughts of populations of tyrannies must be controlled. Because if the people begin thinking about things that the government doesn't want them thinking about, that results in political opposition, in political struggle, and sometimes loss of power. So ideas are the things we have to control if we're dictators. What was it Stalin said? Uh, we don't, ideas are more dangerous than guns. We don't let our people have guns. Why would we let them have ideas? Remember, that stuff is out there. It's easy to figure out. What's going on? The Second Amendment in America, particularly whenever it's in the news, gives people in other countries the idea that maybe they'd be safer if they had guns. And those leaders don't want their people thinking like that. So they're working hard to make having guns seem the most unsafe proposition that's possible. And getting people killed in other countries with American guns is a demonstration, if you don't know the facts, that the Second Amendment is a deadly danger to the whole world and not just to America. So the whole world would have to rise up and politically pressure America to get rid of the Second Amendment. This is what would be happening today, if not for two courageous whistleblowers. They would have never stopped Operation Fast and Furious because we'd have never understood it or known what they were doing. There may be thousands of people dead by now throughout Central America, throughout South America, and across oceans in other countries, in Asian countries, all over Western Europe, people would be being killed with American guns. Nobody would really be busily explaining how they got from point A to point B, but a lot of people would say, we just have too much gun freedom. It's too easy for guns to travel around the world. We've got to stop this. People can have gun stuff. I'm telling you, if we didn't know about it, It would still be happening, and I predict the death toll worldwide would be in the thousands, and even now we may have already lost our Second Amendment rights because of this plan. Dare I say, this evil, bloodthirsty plan hatched by Eric Holder and agreed to by everybody else in leadership at that time.
1: So who are the whistleblowers? Who are the people that blew the lid off this? I have lost track
2: of them. I was uh, paying attention to this. Back when it was hot news, three, maybe four years ago, but since then I've kind of stopped paying attention to my links and I've lost track of who they are. One of them, I think, was in Texas law enforcement and one was in federal law enforcement, but they Makes are no wonder longer famous. Them. Them. Makes you wonder what happens. Yes, it does. As with everyone who opposes this Stalinesque crowd, it does make you wonder what happens to them.
1: I thought the left was all love and tolerance. We love tolerance to- and if you
2: have guns they beat you down into purple jelly. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Hey, let me ask you this. So we're uh Obama says we're sending assault weapons to rebels in Syria to confront a regime that does not represent them. And the same Obama, when when he's talking to Americans from the same uh from the same pulpit, says there's no reason why any American should own assault weapons. First,
2: I want the administration once and for all to say what an assault weapon is, because it isn't in the dictionary and it isn't in military manuals. It's a word the left has made up to make guns sound scarier than they really are. In terms of military-capable rifles, which have switchable feed switches from burst fire to full auto to single fire, those aren't available to the general public. You can't buy an actual weapon that's handed out to soldiers for actual assaults. It's against the law, and it has been since 1934. Machine guns, fully automatic weapons have been illegal for 80 years plus. So what are they talking about when they say assault weapon? I need to know that. Otherwise, there's no point in going on when you don't understand or agree on definitions. The word "assault weapon" is a scary couple of words, and that's why they use them. And that's the only reason they use them. They don't have a definition,
1: so they're winning. They're winning the uh, the war on co-option of the vernacular. So uh, I am. Win- uh, go ahead. Uh,
2: they're winning the war on on inventing names to scare people. They're winning the war with language. They're using their language more effectively. Than we are, the whole idea that they can still say things like climate change and people still think of things like global warming, even though the switch to climate change is an absolute admission that the globe is not warming anymore, you know that they can they can use climate change and people still think of global warming is just nuts to me. It just shows you how their determination their repetition, doing things over and over and over again in the right venues where people aren't really paying attention, they've actually sold America and the world the idea that climate change means it's getting hotter. (laughs) And it's insane. But that's where assault weapon comes from. It's that same way of twisting the language to be able to win an argument that you're not really winning.
1: Well, uh, the uh, ultimate question here is, why, uh, why are we as conservatives... Um, I'll 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 use the word feckless. I hate to use that word. No, I don't. I love to use that word, but I hate to use it as it relates to conservatives. Why are we so feckless in our um, the words we use, the way we go about things? Why why are we uh, so inefficient, ineffectual?
2: Well, we're not totally feckless. We have very little feck, and it's certainly insufficient feck, but totally feckless. I'm, I'm not sure I can go all the way there with you, but uh, stipulated for purpose of discussion. I think we're feckless because we're beaten six ways from Sunday by strategy and tactics. And we don't understand where the fight is, what they're doing to win and why it keeps working until we understand and get ourselves into the ring and fight the same way they do with the same vigor they do understanding the same tricks that they're using and making sure they don't get by with anything that the whole idea of using words like global warming and assault weapon are unchallenged by republicans conservatives will challenge them but republicans won't republicans i really think are just hung up on the status quo and being part of the the great two-party sharing of power and and having authority and having cachet and influence. And, boy, they just can't stand the idea that they might be replaced by a bunch of rednecks from the sticks with don't tread on me flags. I -hmm. think the Republican Party, Sean, is a bigger enemy to me than the Democrat Party. I know what Democrats believe. I know what they'll try to do, and I know how they'll try to do it. But the Republicans are seriously trying to pull rugs out from under me, pull the tablecloth out from under me when I was just about to get a bite of my lunch, and keep smiling at me and patting me on the back and calling me partner the whole time. I think the Republican Party is more of a deceitful, backstabbing, uh, unethical entity at this point for conservatives than the Democrat Party.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Um you know I notice on uh you know a lot of conservatives will get mad at Fox News because they say well you know they're not conservative. Well they've never made the claim to be conservative. They've made the claim to be fair and balanced. Uh but they you know for for whatever reason for the longest time we've we've kind of claimed them as our news source and really they're not. A lot of the people that are on Fox News are are not and were not before they came on there uh to be considered to be conservatives, although there are several of them. Shannon Bream, uh very, very conservative, an awesome, awesome person. Uh you know, very conservative and has a great track record of conservatism. But many of the others that we, we hail as being conservatives, there really aren't. Uh and so but they'll say on there when they're interviewing somebody about gun violence, because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a mass shooting thing now and talk about that, but when they when they bring up things, uh, they you know they always have a panel that has a uh, it'll have a, a conservative pro a Second Amendment person and then they'll have this crazy leftist who will say crazy things and the anchor of the show or the host of the show never ever ever corrects them when they say things like gun show loophole they don't ever yep. correct them. They don't ever stop yep. and go, whoa whoa whoa, 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 You just said something, the gun show loophole. Let's address that. They don't have there is time. No they looking at the clock. Right. they, they got a producer in their ear. People. Exactly. There's a producer in their ear barking at them saying, come on, come on, come on. you got three minutes. Move to this. Say this. Say that. Um, and so we get really mad, and I get really mad. I listen to him, and I say, come on, you got to know better than that. But shows like uh, Hannity, uh, he does. He definitely does. um does call him on it. I, I like that he does that. I'm not a huge Hannity fan, but I like that he's one of the few that does. But we in the public uh square and in and, and, you know, just in our daily living, not just radio people, I mean you're a huge radio guy, but uh I'm this little guy but you know, but when we're out in public or when we're speaking or when we're getting interviewed, you know, the onus is obviously on us for because of what we stand for. Uh to, to correct these things when we're being interviewed. But the regular, everyday person has to. They have to start correcting and stopping people, not just about guns, about everything. You know, when someone, when some liberal brings up uh, some crazy thing, I mean, it's just a, they say crazy things. When they bring that up, we need to stop them, press pause, and say, why?
2: Well, My recommendation for this problem is, number one, read and learn the Constitution and know everything about every syllable in it. And if you don't get it, if it's not understandable to you, find someone who can explain it to you or do your research and look it up. Figure out the history surrounding the forming of those sentences and figure out what good thing they were trying to achieve and what predictable bad thing They were trying to avoid. I get in arguments all the time, even with friends. Oh, the Constitution. That thing is 250 years old. Are you kidding me? It's antiquated. It's outdated. The founding fathers could never have imagined, you know, a a rifle with 30 rounds in the magazine. I mean, they literally believed that the Constitution, the founding documents are totally out of date and should be ignored. And we should just start again from scratch. And every now and then someone quotes Thomas Jefferson as having said, We ought to do that every 20 years just to make sure the people alive in that generation get the government they want fine let's do it but until it's done don't undo the one we have it doesn't have an expiration date from age learn about it and the other day i hit a friend of mine with where are your rights coming from and you know sean he had no idea why he has rights well they're in the bill of rights sure they're in the bill of rights that's because they come from somewhere The Bill of Rights tells you what they are, but it doesn't tell you where they come from. And I pressed and pressed and pressed and finally showed him the Declaration of Independence, having been called the soil, the organic soil in which the roots of all good laws grow, says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that God made us and God gave us certain rights and no one can take them away. I said to my friend, you realize if you don't believe in God, that you are actually saying, I don't have any rights. Because the only case anyone can make for having rights in the American founding documents is rooted in Thomas Jefferson's we hold these truths to be self-evident that God made us and God gave us rights, and that's the only reason you can't take them away. It's because of God. And today, I'm sorry to say, God is off the table. It's too hard to talk about God, and I have not much hope for America unless I see America begin to grow in its interest in and acceptance of and seeking of God and godly things. That is the whole secret of America. That's the secret to greatness. That's the secret to prosperity. That's the secret to our ability to project power and therefore do good in the world as no other nation but us as done, we saved the world from the Nazis. We saved the world from the Soviet communists. We do good because we have a good founding in the sense of where the word good comes from. It's it's an ad- adjective for God. Good, God, same construct. If you don't believe in God, or if you don't think God has anything to do with ordinary, everyday people in the 21st century, you're going to come away with no foundation for your own human rights, you're going to have to admit that you don't have any, because you won't be able to find the source of them anywhere in the founding documents if you discard the only source there is, the one that says God is the reason you have rights. And too many people, even people our age, even people in their 50s, have no idea of God, have no interest in God, and want to believe what has been fed them all their lives, that God is really an anachronism, it's just a legend, it's a it's a myth, it doesn't really matter anymore, you know, there's a whole lot of talk about how God has expired the same way the Constitution has expired. But God is actually the only eternal part of this whole deal; is the only thing that never will expire. And I'm on His side. How about you?
1: Me too. Uh, here's the thing: you know, uh, to conquer a nation, first disarm it. That's uh, you, you've got to disarm its citizenship, and we must take God out of the. Public conversation, Adolf Hitler. You know, those are the first things, and and we find the left always. And I don't know why this is. I I really struggle with why the left is always so anti-God. Of course, at the DNC, uh, they they had a big fight. Um, they very rarely fight among themselves, but they had a big fight to try to remove God, the word God, the, any mention of God from their from their platform, uh, and they they had several runs at it. And and it's interesting to me that the left for one reason or another has chosen to be the anti God pro death people. Uh it it makes no sense to me, but I struggle when we have a circumstance such as the mass shootings. Uh somebody we both know, he's an excellent uh writes novels. His name is Stephen England. He uh we, we both know him he's a, an excellent writer and and a good young man. Um he wrote this in response to a mass shooting, the left now I'm gonna say I disagree with what he says about the right but i'm going to give you what he says about the left this is what he says the left says the rise in gun violence is due to guns this is what the left says this is after a mass shooting the right says in general and social conservatives he says this is what he says this is the social conservatives in particular fireback no the rise in gun violence is due to violent video games i don't think we necessarily say that i think that's a very small segment of it i don't think you know, I think it's a, an enormous uh, – I think it's crime. Crime, a criminal attitude, an anti-God, an anti-human life attitude, uh, an anti-law and justice attitude is why we experience these things. This is – look, people, people want to de-God – All of society, especially American, especially American society, is doing on purpose. So, so this is what Stephen says, and I'm interested to what you think about this. Both of these responses are wrong, and for very simple reason, they both begin by accepting the patently false media-driven meme that it that there is in fact a rise in gun violence, and then attempt to channel it to suit their respective narratives. But there is no rise. In gun violence, in fact, compared to 1993, the peak year of United States gun homicides, Pew Research found that the firearm homicide rate had fallen 49% by 2010. Overall violent crimes with a firearm, which includes assaults, robberies, sex crimes, etc., were down 75% in roughly the same time period. You read that correctly. Violent firearms-related crime decreased over the course of two decades in which the number of personal firearms in the United States went from 192 million, staggering number, 192 million to over 310 million. And video games became steadily more photorealistic. Honestly, folks, this is about as farcical as the media, as if the media came out and said, the sky is purple. And immediately the left would scream, the sky is purple because of global warming. While conservatives came sailing back, no, the sky is purple because of gay marriage. Enough. You can argue until you're out of breath, and you're not going to convince me to accept a false premise. The sky's not purple, and there is no rise in gun violence. Claiming correlation equals causation is bad enough of a logical fallacy. Claiming causation when there isn't even a correlation is pathetic. Stop attempting to explain <laughs> something that isn't happening. That's Stephen England that said so. What say Guns you? Are,
2: uh, Stephen England is, uh, of course, a brilliant chap and a fine swing dancer, and I'm loathe to disagree with him at any point because it's risky business. He backs up what he says with what he reads, but I am am not inclined to disagree with him on this point. His conclusion, as sometimes it is a bit acerbic and pointed and will probably make some people feel a little bit silly, but those are the people he targeted it for, and perhaps they should feel silly. At any rate, I agree that uh, – oh, I'm going to give – how much time do we have, by the way? I don't want to stream too long and run out of Plenty of time. Okay.
3: Plenty
2: I time. Uh, want to I offer you my bona fides, which I have been loath to do on the air these past uh, 24 years, but I'm finding myself more and more interested in making sure people know that I have uh, a horse in this race. And that is, uh, 24 years ago, my love of my life, my beautiful, wonderful Amy, after a year and 23 days of of absolutely joyous marriage, was carjacked and raped and murdered with a pistol in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. And the pistol had no serial number, and it was an Eastern Bloc manufacturer, so it obviously came in the belly of a ship somewhere, probably in a box of, kilos of cocaine or some such situation. And I thought and thought and thought for years about her death and wondering what I or anyone could have done to prevent it, and if a law, any law, could have prevented it. And the answer is clearly no. The guy knew where to get a gun, got it, and used it, and no gun law would possibly have stopped him because the gun was never in the hands of people who abide by the law. It was in criminal hands for its entire journey from wherever it came from all the way into the palm of his hand. It was never in the hands of law-abiding people. And therefore, no, it would never have been prevented by law. And perhaps there are some that would, but Janine, Justice Janine, told me. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her last name. You know her from television.
1: Janine uh, Pirro. Piro, Justi- that's
2: it. Justice mm-hmm. Janine Pirro said... She was involved first as a prosecutor, then as a judge with uh, murders in a county of more than one million people. That's in the New York area for 40 years as a prosecutor and a judge. And in that time, she knew of one murder in which the man who legally bought it, legally owned it and wasn't a criminal ended up using it to kill his wife. So a million people, 40 years Professional prosecutor and judge, and she knows of one time that a gun bought at Bass Pro shops or what have you ends up being used in a murder by the guy who bought it. The truth of the matter is, murders are done by criminals, and they make their best shot at either getting a weapon that can't be traced to them or anyone. Or if they get it and it can be traced, i.e. stolen in a burglary, they file off the serial number to make sure it can't be traced. The guns that are in use in this country in the hands of criminals are in the hundreds of millions, just like the guns that are owned by people who bought them legally and abide by the law. You said gun ownership is over 300 million now. That's the kind that can be tracked and checked and counted. What about the kind that can't be? I guarantee you... There are more illegal guns here that the government doesn't know about than there are legal guns legally bought by law-abiding citizens that the government does know about. It is literally impossible to get all the guns away from people. I worked it out not long ago. It takes two-man crew to go to each house because one man's likely to just get shot by a whole lot of people he knocks on the door to collect their gun. So you got a two-man crew. One's knocking on the door, one's standing back about 30 feet with his weapon at low ready, and they're collecting all the guns. Let's say each house has three guns in it, and they go to three houses a day, so nine rounded up to ten guns a day that each two-man crew collects. That requires two million men, which is a million crews, to to <laughs> to be out several hundred days, In a row, assuming every stop they make is successful and they get the guns and assuming there are no mini wars flaring up that require response, like the people in the street over call the people in the next street and say, shoot those guys before they get to your house because they're here to take your guns. And, of course, they will never, ever go through South Side Chicago and sweep it because that would literally be a civil war by the time you got enough officers in there, and no one's going to know where all the guns are anyway. So the whole idea of picking up and taking away from people all the guns in America is a non-starter. We'd either have a civil war and melt down to nothing, or because millions of our policemen and military people are tied up with this project of taking the guns from the citizens— We'll be utterly unable to defend ourselves in our streets and on our borders, and somebody like Putin will just march in and take over. You see what I'm saying? The actual logistics make it completely impossible for government to ever, ever, ever collect up all the guns. And the ones they're going to end up with
1: is oh, whoa, 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 whoa! I got to stop you! I got to stop you! I got to stop you! You okay. obviously haven't heard of the extremely. Successful and absolutely without problem at all. Idea of the left, called gun buyback. I mean, okay. don't you know they have churches in inner cities that put up signs saying, "We'll give you one hundred and fifty dollars, no question asked, for your gun." And then all these gangbangers come streaming in with their illegal guns by the by the hundreds, and they turn them in to get their hundred and fifty dollars when they're making tens of thousands of dollars a day in their illegal guns or illegal drug sales, they come in because you know they feel bad. They feel bad. They yeah, say, I, I need to turn this gun in. I need to turn- <laughs> they're offering me unquestioning one hundred and fifty dollars. No questions asked, here's one hundred and fifty dollars.
2: There's a reason why all the ideas to get the guns off the streets look so stupid. It's because they are. <laughs> it's never going to happen. The best thing you can do, as the statistics show, is to leave the American people alone. Let them be Who they are, you'll find most of them are law-abiding, decent people who will take care of themselves and their families and who will come to the rescue of other people in need. And if you leave them alone, let them have their constitutional rights unimpeded, and you will find a country with less crime in it. As we've seen, the amount of guns has increased over the last 20 years, and the amount of crimes has dropped by half. An armed society is a polite society. Did you see in the newspaper the story of the professor at uh, UT, who's actually quitting and walking away because UT allows concealed carry now. Did you see that?
1: I saw that. I saw that. He's taking a stand. He's brave. What
2: you have is a man who is afraid of law-abiding people with guns in their pockets just in case something bad happens so they'll be able to respond to it, but he's not afraid of an environment with nobody there able to respond to anything which recent history has proven is a popular place for insane people with guns to come and kill as many unarmed defenseless people as possible. That's not what makes him afraid. What makes him afraid is people who are ready to defend him. (laughs) You see, it's idiocy. It's lunacy. And it comes down to some sense of uh, uh, inadequacy on the part of some left-wing man. Of course, I'm not saying all of them by any stretch, but there are some guys who aren't, the kind of guys who would think about risking their lives to help other people in need or protect people. And and it makes them embarrassed at the idea that some guys would, that there are some sheepdogs out there who do look out for the sheep and love the privilege of doing it. And it becomes, uh, I can't let him have that over me. You know, he's more manly than me and I don't like it. So I'm going to make sure he doesn't get to be who he is and get all that glory. And, I mean, it's very simple playground stuff, but, Sean, you know, just like I know, with men, we never really leave the playground. The feelings of competitiveness that we have uh, modify themselves over time, but they don't ever really go away. And if you've got a little twerpy guy who prides himself on his brilliance but can't fight his way out of a paper bag, he hasn't forgot that just because he's 50 years old and he's a professor emeritus somewhere.
1: Well, you know what always stops a bad guy with a gun? Yeah, time and time I again.
2: <laughs> the one thing that can. <laughs>
1: a good guy or a good, a good girl guy. with guns. That's and, right. and, and 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 that's the thing, you know, you, you uh you you repeated a saying that I I love uh is an armed society it's a polite society. And I one thing I find um incredulous I just find this incredulous is like I said before, you know, the left says things that have no basis in truth or foundation in fact at all, the data doesn't support what they say. In fact, the data completely and totally disproves what they say. And and I think looking at uh, who causes shootings, my friend Steve P, uh, ironically, right uh, outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and I, and again, I want to say, and I know I've said this to you privately many times, I um, I want to uh, I want to express my condolences. Twenty four years ago. I've seen her picture many, many times, and I know on the anniversary and on her birthday, we kind of celebrate her, and um, and we pray for you every year during the anniversary. and And, and that part of life is a, is a very difficult part of life, and we're sorry that you had to suffer it. I am uh, incredibly uh, honored and and inspired that you haven't allowed that to make you. Uh, bitter or uh, to somehow chase a false meme uh, just to support your anger and and you have been a person who since I have been privileged to know you has been a uh, pursuer of truth and and love in Christ and and uh, I honor you for that so we express our our uh, condolences in that each and every year and we want you to know that it's important to us for you to know that that matters that wasn't a an insignificant life that was taken
2: Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. I I love your heart, and I always have. I know that that, uh, I'm not engaging in an academic discussion when I talk about things like this, because I am that other guy you read about in the paper. I'm the guy
3: that it happened
2: to. Amy's the one who died. I'm the one that had to figure out how to keep going. I'm the one that had to figure out how to remember her properly. I'm the one that had to find some joy again after losing the love of my life. And that makes guns and self-defense more important to me than pretty much anyone else on freaking planet Earth. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. My buddy Steve uh, P. from from that area, the Cleveland area, uh, he sends me great information. It's my buddy uh, Jerry from Pennsylvania and Philly Bob and, and uh, my downstate Delaware uh, super-duper researchers. Um, really great bunch of people that give me great information. And one of the things, uh, there was an article written by a Ph.D., Laura L. Hayes. Uh, mentally ill, this is, the, the byline is, how to stop violence. Uh, mentally ill people aren't killers, angry people are. And it's interesting to me, uh, I I have faced down people who are evil at their core. I've I've been nose-to-nose with them, and I've been close enough to smell them and close enough you know to have the opportunity to feel their hatred and their anger and their demonic attitude and their demonic what, what drives them the absolute uh, just evil that drives them and and that being said uh, most people haven't uh most people uh I always point this out and I'm I'm not trying to diminish or minimize anybody else's experience in life. And I'm certainly not trying to build myself up, but you learn a lot about evil people when you face them down when they can kill you. And it's you kill them or they kill you. uh, And and that's just how it works. Um, You talked about sheepdogs and sheepdogs have a great appreciation for the razor's edge of peace, how peace is maintained and the violence required to to maintain peace. And so uh, And you know go ahead. The
2: the the violence on the other side of that razor's edge is coming to this country. I mean colossal and soon. And people don't understand we're all talking about things like uh Uh, electromagnetic pulse if some enemy sets off a nuke in our sky or some solar storm comes our way. People don't understand what I know you do that give us three days of trucks not running on the freeways and empty stores and people are killing each other in the streets and going into each other's houses for cans of soup. Give us three days, Sean, and we will be at that point where no one can imagine how bad it could be or how fast it could get there. This this nation, I think, in the in the bigger picture is not necessarily benefiting from being a high economy, fast moving, operating on the edge of the failure envelope for delivery of of low cost, readily available goods and services you can afford. And uh, this is all great because we can do it. But come the first week, we can't do it anymore. And people who have never provided a meal for themselves other than taking a government check to McDonald's ever now have to figure out how to eat their next meal. And they've never even thought about it. I promise you, it's you and me and our families they will set their eyes on and come for. And it will be hours or days at the most. And people do not understand how close they are to that kind of existential evil that you're talking about when you stand in a street and face somebody that you know is ready to kill you. We're all going to be facing that. But too many of us have no idea what it looks like and have no idea at the depth of our own strength and clear thinking and our ability to respond to it. We have no idea. And when you have no idea and you're in that situation, all of a sudden it will eat you
1: alive. No doubt about it. It's a, There's a society, there's an element in society that, uh, in this article that Dr. Hayes wrote, that my friend Steve P. sent me, um, the uh, one of the one of the excerpts from it that I, I found uh, really powerful is: "Uncontrolled anger has become our number one mental health issue. Though we have the understanding and the skills to treat the anger ec- epidemic in this country, as a culture, we have been unwilling to accept uh, the violence problem as one that belongs to each and every one of us. We have sought." Scapegoats and minority cultures, racial groups, and now the mentally ill. When we are ready to accept the demon that is within us all, we can begin to treat the cycle of anger and suffering. Now let me let me say this. Uh, there's another just earlier, and then I read them out of order on purpose um, because I think it's 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 important to take it in this in this step. Uh, the violence that is part of anger disorders is fueled by chronic repressed, repressed rage. Uh, that has found no socially acceptable outlet. It is fostered by families in which adults behave in violent, intimidating ways or in which anger is tightly repressed. And in in either situation, there is no appropriate model for the safe or constructive expression of anger. And then she goes on to say, the truth is anger management skills are simple techniques that can and should be taught to children and adolescents. We should not wait to teach these skills until verbally or physically violent Behavior is, has become habitual and often life-threatening. Now, I I have to say, God bless her. I don't know if she's liberal or she's conservative or she's neither. Um, I you know I don't know. She's a fellow egghead, and, and what do I? You know, I'm not going to cast. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to cast aspersions to her. But I have to say, this is part of the struggle in America. Is people who have no concept of a gun. They're afraid if they see a picture of the gun, they get nervous. They think that, why in the world would you want a gun? You know, it's funny. We were in New York City uh, this past, I think it was Thursday, and there was a dead person on the street in Manhattan. She was clearly dead. She was face down. She was dressed well. Uh, There was two police officers putting on their rubber gloves so they could try to see if she had any ID. It's before detectives got there. It's before any uh, tape was put up, and people were walking by and Some didn't even turn their head and look some it looks somebody else dead in New york city big deal you know violence happens um and it and it uh it is an interesting thing to me that that same part of society and not just in new york it's um i well, let me say this in Chicago, I find it interesting that the President of the United States. Barack Hussein Obama, has not the same amount of concern over young black men dying and, and, and the the air quotes gun violence that is going on in Chicago. Every weekend more people die than in all of these, uh, uh, what do they call them, mass shootings all across America in a year. One weekend we've got more than that. He doesn't seem to care about that part. And those people aren't killing. I would say there's some element of mental illness in them, these people, these gangbangers, these people that have no care or concern over life. They're a microwave society. They want the check in the mail. They want to be able to make tens of thousands of dollars tax-free. They want to have no accountability. They want to live how they want to live. They're all concerned about being disrespected. You don't disrespect me and all this stuff. Yeah, there's some element of mental illness there because they're crazy, uh, but not crazy in the sense of clinically crazy. They're just crazy. They're demonic. They don't care. And you're not going to ever teach them, hey, this is how you care. You need some you need some uh anger management skills. Um you know Yeah,
2: I'm afraid we've lost generations of people because we've had generations of education that doesn't have any God in it, and when you don't have God in your education, it's impossible to teach young people the full philosophical length and breadth of what a human being is. They end up thinking about human life in terms of transactional analysis and comparative uh, acquisition of goods and pleasure and and i did okay but he's doing better than me and that's not fair and and then when they don't get what they expect and want all they can do is be angry because they haven't any full clear broad understanding of things like deferred gratification and things like humility and consistency of pursuit of excellence and those things are not taught because when they're properly taught, as ancient Greeks knew how to teach them three thousand years ago, they were taught with the idea that humanity and divinity were commingled. And now divinity is a joke and anyone who thinks about it is wasting their time and they're wasting mine because I got better things to do than talk about myths and fairy tales, you know? It's really it's amazingly arrogant (laughs) when it comes down to it, what they've done to education. But that I think is the primary The primary curse of our young generation that and the fact that when people start to realize what's happening and figure out ways around it like homeschooling the government winds itself up and becomes the enemy of homeschooling It invents new curriculums that parents don't understand it arrests people for having their kids at home learning instead of in school you know government is an enemy of the people who are trying to save their own children from the mess that government has made of education. And I, I think they did it on purpose. And I think it started a hundred years ago. This is post uh, Woodrow Wilson. This is post direct importation of Marxist ideology into the American government.
1: I talk about this in in my book, Excellent Skill to Church: How Mediocrity is Destroying America. at dot com. If you go there, there's a link, and you can you can click on that. Hey, let me let me ask you this. I, and I think I'll tell you what uh, myself and the people in the chat. Uh, agree and are suggesting that we're losing this battle at the family level families are so fractured in these communities nobody wants to talk about it uh, nobody wants to talk about it. look 80% in Baltimore in that you know the uh, the Freddie uh, Freddie Gray riots uh, yep. I don't think they were riots they were they were just criminal enterprise uh, you know of course six point some million dollars they settled for the, the city of Baltimore paid this family Um They are, you know, 80%, this is a real number, and this is from Maryland, uh, the Department of Corrections, 80% of all of the people incarcerated in the entire state of Maryland come from this very district. And the district councilman who's in charge of that district is the lawyer's husband who is prosecuting the case, who is prosecuting the police officers. 80%. Wow. Nobody wants to talk about that, but that, you know, somebody somewhere is not doing their job. Hey, in the just few minutes that we have remaining, I want to ask you this, no pressure here. So, you uh, get elected as president of the United States, which would be a great day in this country. Uh, <laughs> you get elected as president of the United States, you do three things. What are the three things that you do in the in your first year? I would say in your first 60 to 90 days, but let's be honest. Your first 60 to 90 days are pretty, you know. You're everything's spinning. You're getting to know the protocol. You're getting to know all the procedure, all the different things. You're getting, you're learning how to act in a in a, uh, you know, the Secret Service is teaching you, you know, how to fold, wh- how to do exactly what they say when they say to do it. Don't question it. All of these different things. You're learning all that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so what's we'll in the first year? Uh, I'm,
2: I'm at the uh, point where I've got about nine things, but I'll go with three. Oh, you Not can do quite nine. At random. do nine. Yeah, they're I'm, all really I'm important. You.
1: <laughs> As your press secretary, I am opening it up to you. You do what you want to do.
2: The first thing I would do is, symbolically is have parts of the Constitution read to open every day's session of the House and the Senate, and they would be parts that were relatable to the bills that were being worked on at the time, so that, and I would overtly tell them this, and I would show up and do it myself at every opportunity in both houses. This is where law comes from. To be true and fair and just, a law has to be rooted in this document. It says so in the U.S. Code, which says, the Declaration of Independence is the soil. That's a law is organic. Law is the law of nature and nature's God, and it's a thing that has life, and the life comes from the words of the Declaration of Independence, which are the ones that have God in it as the author of man and the author of human rights. So I would return everyone's focus to that and say if you're working on laws that don't have anything to do with this, please stop because the Tenth Amendment tells you not to do things that aren't enumerated in this. So let's let's reacquaint ourselves with the Constitution, House and Senate, and let's do things according to what it says. And let's not do things that it specifically tells us we're not supposed to do. And here I am in Rick Perry land. First, I would get rid of the Department of Energy. The states can handle energy because energy comes out of state soil. Government doesn't own Alaska through Hawaii, through Wyoming. The states are in charge of the de- So let's have the states in charge of the energy in their own land. Let's have the states in charge of the environment in their own land. Get rid of the EPA. All it does is pour billions and billions down a black hole, and people end up being made richer by it, but it doesn't ever do any good. All it does is make government into the enemy of a lot of honest, ordinary people out in the country who wouldn't hurt a fly and are just trying to do what's sane and sensible on their own property. The government, federal government, doesn't own that property. Go away, federal government. So goodbye, EPA. I'm not sure I could manage to close down the Department of Energy and the Department of uh, of the Environmental Protection Association in the first 90 days, but I would certainly go full steam ahead on that and uh, put it on the agenda, and it would get done. And the last thing I would, I would put an end to immediately, for the sake of our children, I don't even have any, Sean, but it puts tears in my eyes thinking about what's being done, the children in this country i would close down the department of education most people have no idea it was built in 1980 jimmy carter left america with the department of education on his way out the door people think of it as something has been with us for 200 years no it's a modern democrat party leftist monstrosity and it's totally against the 10th amendment which says if the thing is not enumerated if it's not mentioned in the constitution as something government should do government shouldn't do it let the states handle education i graduated high school in 1978 there was no department of education the state of texas educated me and i dare say they did a fine job and i didn't even finish college and you know what i can do anything i want i can talk to anyone i want at whatever level i need to to be able to accomplish something i was educated successfully by the state of texas which had nothing to do with the federal government, my education was not funded or supervised. My uh, uh, what do you call the list of things to do? The curriculum was not provided or enhanced by the federal government. It is a colossal, subversive waste of money, and it's got to go. So we re-familiar, familiarize Congress with the Constitution, ask them to demonstrate the constitutional validity of whatever it is they're doing and as fast as I can, get rid of the Department of Energy, the Department of Education, and the Environmental Protection Association. And there are many more.
1: Mm, mm, mm. That's strong. That's my like beginning.
2: It. How do you like me now? I
1: like it. <laughs> Several weeks ago, I did a show. And, folks, if you're listening to this show, you can listen to archive messages for free. You just go to the blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja Pastor. And listen to any show. Uh, several weeks ago, I, I said, uh, you look for the title, uh, What I Would Do If I Were President. And that's, ironically, Great Minds Think Alike. Um, you know, those those are all things that I would have done. I talk about the Department of Education in my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. com is where you would go to buy that. Uh, or Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Hey, listen, Dave, I know you don't have unlimited time. I want to thank you so much for your friendship and also for your support of this show and for coming on board. I know our our uh, our listeners really enjoy it when you're on, and uh, I know I do. I could talk for hours and hours and hours, but, you know, you really bring a lot to this. And, and so tell us really quick uh, in a minute where you can be heard and uh, where people can follow what you do.
2: I am on Monday through Friday evening, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, on two radio stations in Florida. And I don't even live there. God bless the internet. The stations are AM 860, WGUL, Tampa, St. Pete. The logo is the answer to Salem Communications Station. And their sister station, WLSS 930, just south in Sarasota, both stations in the Bay Area. And you can find WGUL inspired by Seagull, of course, the Gull of the Bay Area, mm-hmm. W G U L on iHeart Radio. Nine o'clock to ten o'clock Eastern time, Monday through Friday and encore programs early Sunday morning and late Sunday evening.
1: That's awesome. You know what? We uh we are privileged to have this tool called the uh the internet to be able to listen to you and, and I know every time I listen, of course we've been together in person all over and uh, every time I get the privilege of spending time with you, I always learn a whole bunch. So, And if you can teach a fool like me, then anybody can be taught. So uh, I really appreciate what you bring. Thank you for taking the time to come on board.
2: God bless you, brother. Thank you for remembering Amy. I really appreciate that. It really touches um, me, and I've had a great time today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much. Come on anytime. All right. Bye-bye. We'll, we'll see you, brother. So there you have it, folks, one of the greats one of the greats. Hey, listen, we're going to go out to commercial really quick. We'll be back with another very special guest with a very big announcement. Uh, we are super excited about this announcement. Hang in there. We'll be right back.
0: We will be back with Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, after these short
1: messages. Hey, listeners, let me tell you something really quick. Listen, if you own a gun, not even if you carry a gun, not even if you have a concealed carry permit, but if you own a gun, you need to listen up. You need to get a pen, you need to get paper, something. You need to click into your notes and your smartphone and, and take this number down. First of all, the first number is 20630. Don't worry, I'll repeat it. 20630. Listen, you have the right to defend yourself and your loved ones and your home. All of that stuff is true. You know it is. But the moment you pull the trigger or pull your gun, you are at risk for devastating legal and financial consequences. You know, you can be arrested. You can be jailed. You can be sued. You can be fired. You can be bankrupted. Even when you've legally and justifiably used a gun in self-defense. You don't have to let this happen to you. Just call second call defense. That number you want is 20630. Listen, it's going to get you a whole month free. 20630. I'll give you the number in a second. You're going to enjoy, listen, when you become a member, you're going to enjoy peace of mind of having immediate and comprehensive legal and financial protection at your fingertips the moment you pull your gun, the moment you pull the trigger, no matter where you are in the United States. You just make two calls. Your first call should always be to 911 to request an ambulance and law enforcement. And listen, we'll tell you exactly what to do, what to say, how to say it. Your second call should be the second call defense. Listen, we've got your back. It's complete. Legal Protection for Armed Self-Defense, and it is fully endorsed by the NRA. It's fully backed by the NRA insurance program. Folks, you've got to have this coverage. I have the Cadillac protection, which is the ultimate coverage, and I'm telling you, it is phenomenal. People say, well, I've got homeowner's coverage. That'll protect me. I've got an umbrella policy, civil liability policy. No, no, it won't. In fact, it's specifically excluded. You say, well, I'll get a a public defender. They'll keep me out of jail. No, they won't. First of all, usually public defenders are from liberal colleges and liberal law schools. They hate guns. They hate people that carry guns. And they're, they don't understand uh, lethal force to start with. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Is that what you want to bet your freedom on? Is that what you want to bet your financial future on? That? Are you kidding me? 877-502-3300. SecondCallDefense.org. You want to give them this number, 20 20- Six three zero. That's a Ninja Pastors number. You give them that, they're going to give you a free month. Go to God and Country Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Uh, there's a place where you can sign up, you know, you know, sign up by the means of putting in your information for the show, uh, to follow the show, but there's links on there once you do that or on that page. There's a link there, and that will show you exactly where to go. You click on that link, go, get all kinds of information. There are no contracts. You're not locked in. And once you get your money back, your free uh, month back, they they never come back and take it back. This is the best coverage out there. Trust me. I've researched it.
0: Welcome back to The Collision of Faith and Politics. Here again is Dr. Sean.
1: Hey, thank you for coming back with us. Listen, you are in luck. See, today is your lucky, lucky day. If this is your first time listening to the show, then you're super lucky because you haven't had to listen to me drone on for two hours. You've gotten to listen to um, a really, 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 really awesome guy, Dave Perkins. What an awesome guy. There's tons of comments coming in that uh, everybody loves it when he's on. Well, you're in luck. You don't have to listen to me so much. uh, Today, you get to listen now to a true conservative fireball. Her name is Tiffany Rugner, and she is a small business owner, a single homeschool charter school mom. She started out as a Tea Party activist working. uh, She did four national bus tours for the Tea Party Express. She's done mega rallies all across the country. Uh, She is just really, really uh, a, a rock star in the conservative movement. She's worked with people like Sarah Palin, uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, uh, God rest his soul, un, uh, Andrew Breitbart, and many, many others. She, you know, I don't know if you know this, but she does this thing uh, called shadow campaigns. It's absolutely amazing what happens. Uh, she's worked with Scott Brown uh, in Massachusetts, Joe Miller in Alaska, great patriot there. Christine O'Donnell uh, in Delaware, who, by the way, uh, those of you who don't know, uh, I own a company called Executive Protection Team, and uh, I protected Christine O'Donnell. And ironically, we crossed paths. Tiffany and I crossed paths but did not know each other at the time, didn't realize that we crossed paths. Uh, Mike Lee of Utah, Congressman Raul Labrador uh, of Idaho, lots and lots of others. She's done radio thons, press conferences, and other media things. She's uh, really, I'll tell you the truth, um, reading her resume is, is absolutely stunning. What you see is a true fireball for conservative activism. And, and she's extremely smart about what she does. Extremely smart. Uh, I don't know that I've ever run across anybody with, uh, the media savvy and expertise that she has. She absolutely is, uh, extraordinary. And folks, um, you need to know that there are people like this out there who have dedicated their entire life to the conservative movement. Uh you, you know, she's uh, been given most recently and you I know that you're you're going to recognize this. Most recently she was given the assignment of stirring women up as warriors against the war on women. You know, that's a victimless war filled with feminist victims such as uh the executive director of women's wears uh PAC.com, they organized over 120 day of resistance gun rallies uh listen hundreds of thousands of people i mean this this woman here you're about to hear from just killing it she's just out there killing it and uh she's been all over the world and she's lived in other places in the world and so she has a strong appreciation for what this country is all about uh i can identify that as a person who uh, has, has traveled the world. I, she's also, by the way, a uh, current part owner of Right Wing News. Of course, she's evolved a millions and millions of followers. She runs Patriot Update. Um, she blogs as the Right Mix for Right Wing News, Tea Party News Network, uh, Dustin Stockton.com, and uh, Politicalistas, um, Tea Party Army, Woman Warrior Pack. Jesus does uh, so many folks, so many, and the list is super long. Um John Hawkins, you've all have heard of John Hawkins. He's a right wing uh news founder. He, he this is how he describes Tiffany. The reason she is so successful is she's willing to do things most people don't want to do. She works harder than anybody I've ever seen. Our country deserves better pack, that's the Tea Party Express chief strategist uh Sal Russo says I recommend Tiffany for positions that have demanding requirements as she excels when the pressure is most intense. And the founder of Western Represent, uh, Representation Pack and chief strategist for the tea Doug Stock Dustin Stockton, uh, calls her the super activist. You know, remember Joe the Plumber? This is how he describes her. She's like a pit bull on, pro, on projects. Once she's got her teeth into something, she won't let it go until it's done. And even Rush Limbaugh referred to Tiffany in an audience at the Kimmel Center in Philadelphia saying she's a genuine, literal Rush baby. And look, look where she is. She works for the Tea Party. Tiffany, it's a pleasure to uh, have you on board with us today. I'm excited to have you on the radio show. This is your first time on the radio show. Our half a million listeners are eager to say hello to you, although you won't be able to hear it because it's radio. Of course, you know that.
3: Mr. Ninja, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So what in the I world are you up to? I'm
3: gonna, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk or move because my ego is like, crushing me in my car right now after hearing that introduction i feel like i should be giving a 45 minute speech
1: <laughs> well go ahead we only have 24 no. minutes left but you can give the longest <laughs> you want
3: no that's okay how are you doing today
1: oh i'm doing great couldn't couldn't be better couldn't be better hey so what in the world are you working on these days what what is tiffany so busy with
3: well, you know, after uh, after doing a lot of stuff with the Tea Party, it was kind of interesting. The Tea Party just kind of went out there and found these people in their regular jobs, their regular lives. I had I had a my own business as a massage therapist, and that was two in 2009, and I completely changed into this political strategist. And um, after working the tea, through the Tea Party for a number of years. I decided I wanted to go a different direction, and now I'm working on the messaging war. You know, the the reason why I believe that we lose so often as uh, as conservatives is because we lose on the messaging war. Our while our message is truthful, it's not emotional, and so I have decided I'm going to train an army of people to um understand how to create an emotional message so that we can reach everybody. Rather than just reaching our few friends who we talk to on Facebook, I want to reach everybody and with some of the things that John Hawkins and I have accomplished, I mean we, we've gone in just a couple years to um reaching five hundred thousand to reaching about twenty million a month. So wow. and that's why creating a more a more emotional message. And I'm telling you we have done a great job at reaching out to millennials and they're able to hear you know we first we grab their heart, and then we give them the truth you can't you can't throw the truth in anybody's face anymore because it's hard to know what the truth is so anyway so that's, i'm working on the messaging more sir and i'm glad to have met you and and have you help me on this a little bit
1: Awesome. Well, that leads leads me to the big announcement. So so how in the world are you and I going to be working together?
3: Well, I believe that I'm going to train you how to take the wonderful words that you put out there on your blog talk radio and put them into, into an HTML format, a basic blog. Um, we're going to see how we can get your message out further. To greater numbers of people so not just people who want to listen to you i want to find people who want to read what you have to say
1: and so i'm going to
3: train you in that format hopefully the codes won't confuse you and you know just a couple years ago i would say when i joined the tea party movement to be honest i didn't even know how to do a google search that was in 2009 and now i can just destroy researching anybody which is part of the shadow campaign stuff we learned how to Find stuff out about people and use that and create a message around it. So messaging is so 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 important, and um, conservatives really need to learn how to do it better. And we really do. How to do that? Yeah, that's
1: awesome. I've said many times from this platform, and as I travel around the country and speak, I um, I have to say I, I say this a lot, uh, and and people kind of look at me funny. Um, we need to be more. Technical. We need to be more technically savvy. We need to be more internet savvy. We need to be um, we we need to be more gritty, and not just on the ground physically, uh, engaged in head-to-head battle, uh, but we need to be able to do it uh, like you've become an expert in is is the media battle, the uh, the internet battle, and and that's something as I've examined your career you are clearly uh, just a master of. So uh, where can people read what I write and what I do, the opinion blogging and all that stuff? Where are they going to be able to read these things?
3: Um, so I actually have you at theminorityreportblog.com. And then also they can find your stuff on Facebook at Impeach Nancy Pelosi, which is a really fun page. That That was kind of a page that blew up in uh In our campaign to destroy Nancy Pelosi, and it's become a tool that has helped us get the conservative Christian message out there even further so either of those places impeach Nancy Pelosi on Facebook and the minority report dot com
1: and these posts have already reached over two million people page the the uh post reach numbers. From just that page alone, the impeach, impeach Nancy Pelosi page, absolutely phenomenal. These are these are absolutely phenomenal numbers. And so I am excited to be under your tutelage. Now, of course, <laughs> I've written the book and I travel around the country and speak, but I don't know the first thing about codes and uh, all that right. stuff. I, I don't know anything about it. But I'll tell you what, I am having fun learning uh, from you and learning how to do these things. But, folks, I'm I'm here to tell you, the news is a, a very active thing. You know, we we talk about. Uh, remember how it used to be, and and I don't know how old you are, Tiffany, but I'm fifty. Last week or a couple weeks ago, I turned fifty, and and I'm very young fifty, by the way. Uh, and and so, but when I was growing up, you got your news uh, at the six o'clock news, the national news, and you got your you got your news uh, on the radio. You know, on every every. Uh, half hour on the hour, or whatever, however they used to say it, and you would get the mainstream news, and, and that's how you did it. But now. And those
3: paper things. And the, do you remember those what paper things? things? I and don't you know
1: even know what, things are. Things what even are those are.
3: What are those?
1: That's what I, I put under my crabs. I put those underneath my steamed crabs when I eat steam crabs here in Delaware. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, so that's how we used to do it. But now uh-huh. it's it's radically different. The news is radically different. Uh, and, and so that's this active thing. And I'll tell you what, I used to bemoan the 24 hour news cycle, but now, um, you know, I've got a a speaking thing here in a little bit, uh, down in Dover, Delaware. And then when I come back, I'll be doing two more articles for you. And, and I have to say, as I look across the internet and look at these different things that come across, um, We have to be. Of course, you can't sit in front of a computer all day long every day. We've got to, got to get out there and do stuff. But as I look at the stuff that's going on, not only in this country but around the world, that impacts our freedom, that jeopardizes our freedom and our liberty, I think to myself, man, thank God for people like Tiffany Rügner who have have grabbed this bull by the horns and said, you know what, I'm going to learn how to use you. I'm going to redeem you for good. You know, we talk about Christians a lot of times. Uh, You know, they bemoan the Internet. Internet's of the devil. You know, uh, movies are of the devil. You know, radio, it's of the devil. You know, (laughs) but uh, my approach has always been, hey, let's let's redeem that sucker for for God. Let's redeem it for conservative and 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 liberty minded folks. And let's let's make it bring us. uh, Let's make it bring us the real news, the true thing. Sure. And yeah.
3: I want to say one thing about the news and the internet and all of those things, being of the devil. We know that in all things that are good, there's always going to be an opposite bad. And it is my belief that the television and that radio and that the internet have all been allowed to be created and come to light because of God. I believe that that's part of his plan because how can we reach those people in those parts of the world where they don't believe in Jesus Christ? How are we gonna reach those people where well, we're gonna be able to reach them now through the television and through internet because those the the message of Jesus Christ can no longer be held back from any people in the world and that is only because of radio, television and internet. So I mean, while while there always is going to be some evil lurking in the corners fine, that it actually brings a greater good to this world, and we have to protect our children from the bad. You know, we we always have to look and protect our children from the bad, and sure, there's some real bad stuff that can come across there, but we've got to remember there is some good stuff. And because of the Internet, we are no longer completely under the chains of the propaganda machine that is called the United States media. American media right now is all propaganda, and it's all to lead the people to fear and to sadness and to slavery. You know, they they, they all will follow tyranny because they're they're sad and afraid. Our people, but now they've got the internet where they can find truth. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, we we can bemoan that there's there's some bad stuff there, but I'm telling you, there's a whole heck of a lot more good coming out of it. And we just we I think that because the bad is so bad it's um it's kind of hard to swallow that these are really good tools and we have got to learn to use them because truly there is a messaging fight in this world and the messaging just isn't just about liberty it is about god and it is about jesus you know and we've got in order to win the fight we have got to learn how to use the tools
1: that's awesome. I appreciate you saying that. That's a great reminder. Uh, you know, I asked this of Dave Perkins. I don't know if you know Dave, but he's an awesome, awesome dude. He was uh, he was just on the show. Um, I asked him, and, and what if you became president? What do you think are the most pressing things that you would just be driven to deal with in this country? You're the president. You get to deal with whatever you want. What are the things that really jump out at you? to Say, you know what? I got to get on this. This is what needs to happen.
3: Oh gosh, that's a tough. Oh my gosh, no one's ever asked me that question, but I think I would um, make sure to do everything in my power to um, give success to the Liberty Amendment. I really, I feel that um, the the sixteenth and seventeenth amendments were two of the things that were created to destroy our Constitution. So I do everything I could to restore the Constitution, which is what the Liberty Amendment does. Um, Additionally, I would get rid of the Department. Really, don't need the Department of Education. I I feel that the Department of Education, its whole goal is to um, to to take a few a few people's ideas in the in the East Coast and whatever propaganda they want to feed our children. They they hold money. um, They withhold money from. The state, then we're not going to give you the money that you gave us, so that we could give back to you. If you are not, I one of our states is different. Every culture of our states is different, and I really, really would like to honor the the separation of states. You know, our our states all need to be able to have the power to do with whatever they want with their people that they want to do, and that includes the funds for education. I would totally annihilate the Department of Education, and then there are a lot of other departments I'd get rid of, but. Anything that creates additional regulation that just doesn't make sense, you know, right. and the whole purpose of it is to control and it takes away freedom. So maybe tomorrow I'll sit down and I'll create my platform and I'll. <laughs> there you go. Because I've well, never hey, thought about it before.
1: <laughs> well, it's worth thinking about. I I did a show several weeks ago, and and folks can, uh, it's free of charge. You can go back into the archives of this show at blogtalkradio.com dot com backslash the Ninja Pastor. Uh, we're also on uh, iTunes and the theNinjaPastor.com. All those different places you can you can listen to it. But I did a show. What what I would do if I were president of the United States, and and so I outline a bunch of stuff. And one of the things I do is much like you, great minds think alike. Uh, also, Dave Perkins said the same thing. You know, several of the same things you said you'd get rid of. He said and I said. But one of the things that we hear uh, from the left, and and sadly, from a lot of people on the right. Is that allegedly on the right? Is that yeah? You get rid of those organizations, and you're talking about hundreds of thousands of public employees are suddenly without a job. You can't Damn. do that.
3: Well, you know Calvin yeah. Coolidge did that. You know one of the one of the things that people love about Ronald Reagan is that he actually cut pretty deep when he became president, and a lot of a lot of his ideas came from Calvin Coolidge. And Calvin Coolidge came in. I believe the unemployment rate was like twenty-five percent or something. And within a couple of years, he had unemployment down to almost five percent. You know, he was an that guy was amazing, and he knew that if he cut deeply into government, he took they're just shuffling papers from here to there. There's no satisfaction in their heart, and when he cut them free, I'm telling you that so many things came out of his presidency. There was there was so much money. You know there was so much so many so many less taxes that the people were paying that there was a surplus of money, and people are like, "Well, I have a lot of money in my business. What should I do? I know invent the copier, invent the the air conditioning you know i mean it's it's amazing when when individuals have more money, they will create more. When government has more money, less will be created. And you're going to have higher depression because how many state workers do you know who are truly happy and go to their job and say, wow, zippy, zippy, this is fun. They're not doing anything. They're not accomplishing anything. So they're not feeding their their heart that God gave them to create and grow things. All they're doing is transitioning this paper to here to there to there. You know? And so Calvin Coolidge cut all of those people loose, and I, I guarantee you they all found jobs. They found jobs and not only – did they find jobs but they found something that spoke to their heart because they were actually accomplishing something greater than they could in any government job i would uh i would never get voted in president i guess if i said yeah i'll make sure that all the government workers don't have jobs so that they can be free to go find something that they love to do but it <laughs> probably would be on my platform which is why conservatives have a hard time winning because we're too truthful you know, uh, I'm
1: glad that you said that. We only have a couple of minutes left, but I'm glad that you said that because Dave Perkins and I, uh, he was on just before you. Uh, Dave and I were talking about how we just don't seem to win. The The conservative right doesn't seem to win. When it's a media thing, we don't win. When it's a words thing, we don't win. When it's and you know say what you want about boehner uh some people hate him, a lot of people uh and and some people like him. I don't know that that's that many uh but he seemed so feckless and weak and when when the Obama administration would come out with something that was clearly and obviously uh anti constitution and unconstitutional anti christian and and uh frankly unchristian. We just had nothing to say. You know, you've got Hillary Clinton, who clearly is a criminal. Uh, we've got all these things that, you know, and I know Trey Gowdy is working hard on it. But, but we don't hear from very many people about it. I guess we're hearing from Ted Cruz, who uh, he just seems to be fearless, and he comes out and, and gets her done. But, uh, you know, from the position of the speakership and, and, and the ones in Congress, it, they just seem silent. And But in public, we just don't see the national uh, attitude of conservatives standing up and rising up and saying, hey, you know what, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. That's one of the reasons, one of the things, uh, one of my good friends, Kristen Sherman, uh, turned me on to you, and and that's kind of how we met and how this whole uh, opinion blogging thing uh, came to be. Um, But she is a citizen activist, and she's just, her and her husband, John, are just unreal, and they're raising some real, Uh, conservative activist, and so originally, you know, she says the same thing. Look, I didn't know anything about uh, the Internet. I didn't know anything about uh, moving policy or the narrative. Uh, I didn't know any of those things, but I knew I had to do something, and uh, they were fearless, and so many others that I've met over the past several years, just fearless, fearless people, but we seem to be the minority. I mean, I get death threats from my show. I get, get them every week. Uh, because Congrats. I just don't pull any punches. Thank you. Uh, and, and and if you go to executiveprotectionteam.com, you'll see that uh, death threats aren't a new thing to me. But the fact of the matter is, is we've got to stop living in fear. Yesterday on my Sunday broadcast, uh, that was the beginning in a series on fear. And you can listen to that at blogtalkradio.com backslash uh, the Ninja Pastor for free of charges. And it's on iTunes and we live in fear and we've got to stop living living in this uh perpetual fear. Listen, I have so appreciated having you on. I think you have a lot more to say and unfortunately we're out of time, but I want to I want to say uh this in in closing uh for your segment is is I appreciate what you're doing. Uh certainly I appreciate your patience with me and teaching me all this code business and and all of that and I'm, you know, uh I'm going to try to be as fast a learner as I can be. But, I appreciate the fact that you've had this idea to teach people how to get get out there and get after it. Obviously, I wrote a book and I travel around the country and speak. This code thing is just such a new thing, but I'll tell you what it it takes something special to have that idea and say, "Hey, this is how we're gonna win." This is one of the tools one of the one of the arrows in our quiver, and I thank you for doing that.
3: Thank you, Sean. I appreciate your time. thanks for what you did too.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Have a great, great day.
3: Thank you too. I'll talk Take to you. Care. Soon. Bye bye,
1: now. bye. So there you have it, people. You got two great patriots. Uh you know, you just can't argue with the fact that we got people like this out there doing what they do. We've got you out there doing what you do. The Center for Self Governance, you hear me talk about it all the time. November uh fourteenth, fifteenth, and sixteenth. They're gonna be in the Delaware and Pennsylvania area. Folks, if you're in New York, Delaware, uh New Jersey. Uh, Pennsylvania, any of those areas, you're going to be close enough to come. I'm telling you this is the secret sauce, and uh, I have a commercial to play, but we don't have time to play it. But go to the centerforselfgovernance.com or .org, I can't remember which, or go to facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, and you'll see a link to Center for Self-Governance. Go there and put your state in there. Click on a training and, and uh, go to your state, put that in, and, the, and the, the training will show up. You have to sign up. Listen, we've got to quit saying there's nothing we can do. We've absolutely got to do do what we can. All each and all of us uh, have to do it. It has to be done, folks. We're we're on the razor's edge of liberty and tyranny. And I just want you to know that I know I look, half a million strong and growing. I know that this audience is an audience that gets things done. But we need to be smart about it. We need to be efficient. We need to get after it. And you're the people to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. I thank you for joining me at TheNinjaPastor.com. If you are a fan of what I do and you want to support that every single penny, click on the Donate button or box or whatever it is. Uh, you Click on that, TheNinjaPastor.com, and every single penny goes back into the ministry and back into what we do. I thank you for it. Uh, you people matter to me. Liberty and freedom matters to me. And if it's not us, it'll be nobody. We do not want our children and grandchildren to be in chains. It's this bad. We don't want to be in chains. Let's fight like it matters. These are barefoot in the snow days. Let's get after it, America. Let's get her done.
0: Join us next time for the collision of faith and politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drSeanGreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.